Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode two of the Windup for BackSportsPage.com. I'm Brendan Azoff. With me, as always, is Stefan Rosner. How are you doing today, bud? I'm all right. Um, this weekend was a little rough. Had a hockey tournament, was coaching a game, and I took a puck to the eye. I had a so, boy concussion test right there. CTE to start of, off little, the week. A little thought I lost my eye in career but I'm doing better today. That's How right. are you? you couldn't, couldn't stop the puck anyway. So I'm doing well. And, uh, you know, we got a lot to go into today. We're going to start off with a little New York Minute breaking down the Yankees and the Mets. And the Yankees are 2-2 two and two since the break after an extremely tough loss last night to the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, they went into the ninth inning, leading 4-2. to two, And Chapman gave up a three-run home run to Travis D'Arnaud, who hit his third home run of the game, had driven all five RBIs for the Rays. And you know, it's a tough way to lose a game anytime you blow a save, but it's especially tough to do when you had the lead in the ninth and you're playing a team that you could have went seven games up in the division against. So definitely not the way they wanted to start uh, that series off. Fun fact, Travis Darno is a silver slugger and he's one of the best hitters in baseball. You know, Apparently yesterday, after last night. he got one third of his home runs on the season last night and he was leading off and... He's betting 282 with nine homers and 26 RBIs. Where was this when he was with the Mets? Nowhere to be found. Well, I don't know why uh, they have him leading off to begin with. I've never seen a catcher actually lead off, but, you know, credit to Kevin Cash for putting him there. And last night he made the Yankees pay. He looked poised at the plate. He was taking every pitch that was close he was taking. When he had two strikes on him, he was fouling off and battling. And he just took advantage of three mistakes and went right field all the time. And, Nobody complained about the short porch last night, you know, from Tampa Bay side. But, you know, it's it's good to see a player that, you know, kind of bounced around and was never really given the shot to contribute, even though it happened to be against the Yankees. And I got to go on a little rant here. We were watching the game and you see Paxton in the first inning yet again, give up a home run. He was able to limit it to one run. But then, you know, the second time around, he's throwing a couple of curveballs to D'Arno and he couldn't hit him. He was fouling him off. He made him look silly on one. And then he decided, okay, I'm going to try to sneak another fastball in. And he throws 95 right in the same exact spot he gave up the last home run. And I'm sitting there watching it going, how on earth are you going to throw him a fastball? Walk him, if anything, on a curveball. Do not give in to the same pitch he just hit a home run. And it goes even farther than last time. And then Paxton's on the mound with this puzzled look on his face like, what just happened? You're an idiot is what just happened. And then you go later into the ninth inning. After he's now two for two, D'Arno with a walk. Chapman goes up there, gets a first, uh, I think it was a first pitch strike on a slider. He throws one fastball and then goes slider, slider, slider. And it's a 3-2 count. And you could see that he's clearly sitting slider now. And what does he do? Let's go with another slider. And he hangs it in the same spot that Paxton's fastballs were. And guess what? It goes in the right field seats again. You throw 100 to 101 miles an hour. In a 3-2 count, you throw a high fastball. If he swings and misses, great. If you walk him, you deal with it. You go to the next batter, Tommy Pham, who didn't look all that good in that game. And you take your chances there. But you, you cannot give in to this guy. And they did it three straight times with him in home runs. And it's just absurd watching this. You got... Gary Sanchez is setting up inside. They're missing outside. You got old man Rothschild on the bench that clearly is not watching the same game we are. You can't talk to any of his pitchers and tell him, don't throw away to this guy who's clearly leaning over the plate and sitting there. Why don't you brush him off inside? It just infuriated me watching that game. Catch your breath. You good? No, I'm heated. Yeah, no. There's been a Chapman hasn't looked. He's been very good this year, but I feel like he's just letting a lot of people on base. He's not putting people away. He had, I think, a guy earlier to two strikes, couldn't put him away, base it up the middle. That ho- Let's say that home run happens, right? All right, now it's a, at least, what, they're down one still? The Rangers yeah. still down one. But no, you give a three-run shot, and then Yankees go, um, you know, can't muster anything in the bottom of the inning, and they lose. But besides that game last night, a heartbreaker, the last series uh, following the break, they did go two and two. Herman uh, came back, and he had his first start. He goes six innings, seven Ks, and he's now second in the league with 11 wins behind Verlander. Aaron Judge had a great series. He went seven for 11 with a 636 batting average. Taupman made the most of his opportunities. He batting 294 with four RBIs in his last seven games, and he had a big home run in the road match on Sunday to give him a 4-2 lead. Urshela is also making most of his at-bats. He had two RBIs in the road match on Sunday, and last night he had a home run to tie it in the uh, seventh inning. So... They did go 2-2 two and two following the break, but again, everything goes back to last night how, like you said, they could have pulled themselves seven games ahead of the Rays in the division. 
they did not, and they go now tonight to hopefully find a way to win with Sabathia on the mound against opener Stanek. But this Yankee team has not looked as dominant as they were looking earlier in the year, but they're still struggling in the first inning. We could talk about – you talked about Paxton, and, I mean, Brennan, you could go off with the stat right now of how bad he has been opening games. Yeah, I mean, he has a 10-12 ERA in the first inning, and then after that he settles down, and he looks like the, the guy they traded for in the offseason. But I, I don't know if it's his warm-up. Maybe he's got to throw a little less. Maybe he's got to throw a little more. He's got to change something, maybe have a couple of sunflower seeds. You know, just something you got to throw off what – because clearly he's going out onto the mound knowing he's going to give up runs. Like, let, lead off the game with a home run. You can't have that, and you can't put your team down early. So he's got to figure it out. they got to work with him. I don't know if you maybe – Mix it up where you throw more off-speed in the first inning and then go to your fastball later on because he's been coming out just firing fastballs. and uh, Something has to change. But you look at the positives. You did have Encarnacion, who hit two home runs in that game. He finally looked like the guy they traded for, showing off the power. Uh, Urshela hit a solo home run. He's also flashing the leather nonstop. So there were a couple of positives, and it did take an absolute brilliant performance from D'Arno to beat the Yankees last night. It wasn't like anybody else on the Rays was beating them. It was just one player. So if you can limit the damage from one player, you know, they're still a team to beat in the East, obviously. And this, I feel like tonight they come back, they realize, listen, we got to bounce back. You can't lose the first two at home to Tampa Bay. And you got Sabathia, who's usually very good after a loss. So th- this is the perfect storm for them to bounce back, take it to Stanek, who was the uh, pitcher the last time the Rays went out and, pitched well, which we'll talk about later on. So this is the game you got to bounce back. Can't go down 0-2 to the Rays. Here's a you know thought. Why doesn't Boone take a play out of the Rays book and just give an opener for Paxson? I know, yeah, maybe the second inning will just be like a regular first inning for him and he'll get runs anyway, but why not try it with the bullpen you got that the Yankees have? Why not give it one try? Let's see. Let's see uh, Chad can come out for one inning, see Paxson come in and just cruise. What If that works out, why not do that? Because I feel like, you know, realistically in the playoffs, you want to have Paxton start the game and go four or five strong. Then you can go to the bullpen. So uh, I guess you'd rather him try to work out the kinks now in the first inning. That way, come October, he's he can find his groove. But it, it's daily now with him where every game he pitches the first inning, you can almost guarantee one to two runs. And I mean, that you can't happen. So he hopefully he went figures down it out. yesterday, all right? In the yeah, first because he only gave up down. one. That, that's the standard now. That's if you give depressing. up one, it's a good first inning. That's depressing. But uh, hopefully he figures it out. You know, the Yankees still, they found a way. They battled back. I mean, they were down 2-1, and it looked like their offense was completely lifeless. Blake Snell pitched great, and next thing you know, they're up 4-2. So th- their offense has been struggling, but yet they still come through in big situations, which has been the exact opposite formula of what has been the last couple of years, where they'll put up runs, but it seems like every home run they hit solo, and they don't come through with runners on. So... They still give you faith, and you, you realize that this is a very good Yankees team. But uh, now we'll go across town to the Mets, who went 2-1 and one against the Marlins, and they finally looked like they had a little more life coming out of the All-Star break, even though Peter Alonso struggled. And we could talk about how maybe the home run derby is going to mess with his swing in the second half, but it's just one series, so we can't really look too much into it. But Robbie Cano has a little bit of a resurgence, right? Yeah, 462 the last series at 6-for-13. This is somebody that this team needs to produce. Not even saying he's got about 330, hit 20-something home runs in the second half. He just got to be at least like two for four, two for five, two RBIs. He's, he wasn't producing at all. His RBI count was so low. But now, looks like he's, you know, feeling healthy enough to produce with the bat. His fielding's been good. They just need something out of him. That way they can look back and go, you know what, Edwin Diaz is having a rough year. Nothing. No one would have ever assumed that was going to happen. But now you could say, all right, Cano had a solid second half. He was an absolute waste of space. And that's what he's doing right now. Great series. Hopefully he builds on that um, tonight as they battle the Twins for a two-game set at Target Fields. Mats is on the mound against former Yankee Michael Pineda tonight at 8-10. But Alonzo, last series was not a good one for him after the uh, All-Star break. He went one for nine. And maybe it's a little bit of pressure from the Mets organization. Following his uh, home run derby win, tickets were 80% off for a limited time. Brendan, is his swing now messed up for the second half like we saw happen with Judge a few years ago? I think it's just way too early to to say that. But uh, if he goes, you know, the next month and you can see a little slump, then yeah, obviously you watch the end of the home run derby and every swing he took was as powerful as he could swing and 
trying to create as much launch angle as possible. So maybe that tails off for the first couple of series and then he could figure it out again. But uh, you, you can't know until at least one month is what I'll say. But uh, the 80% off tickets that the Mets organization did following his home run derby victory is a little ridiculous, especially in New York, where I've never seen a complete fire sale like that when it comes to tickets. Usually even the Mets have loyal fans that they'll come every game. So 80% is a large number to throw out there as a discount. And it just shows that the Mets yet again have another failed season. Yes, but 80% does hopefully bring more people to the ballpark. And if it does do that, the team gets some more money. Not as much because now there's 80%. But, I mean, if I'm a Mets fan, yeah, you want to go see Alonzo hit and you want to go see McNeil hit. Yes, you know that the bullpen struggled, the starting pitching's been all right. But these guys, McNeil and Alonzo, are two great players that this team could build around. They 100% should. But we can talk about now that, you know, the Mets were thinking about moving Zach Wheeler. And now that seems like that won't happen as he is on the IL with shoulder fatigue off the market because, you know, who's going to want to trade for a guy like that? So, Brennan, what's your take on Zach Wheeler not being available? And does that mean that another pitcher in this rotation will become more available? Well, the only other pitcher that they could really move at this point is Syndergaard. Uh, Vargas has had a good year, so maybe somebody will take a flyer on him, but you're not going to get much in return for Vargas. And Syndergaard is the now key to their trade deadline if they want to get a big hole in return. But I, I don't know if they're going to want to move somebody like Syndergaard, who's loved by the Mets fan base. So losing Wheeler to an injury and losing him, especially his market value, is is big for the Mets because it impacts you know how they're going to go into next season, even though on paper they're going to keep the same rotation intact. We've been saying this for now four or five years, that this rotation is going to be great and that they're going to get a lot of outs. And even though the starters do their job, it still hasn't translated to success. So I think that, you know, his injury definitely impacts the Mets' future prospect-wise, and it impacts other teams that are looking to make a move because now you look at uh, somebody like Robbie Ray from Arizona, who we'll talk about later on also, but his value increases now that there's one less arm on the market. So it's definitely going to make for an interesting trade deadline pitching-wise. Do you think the Mets are done? This year's done. Oh, definitely. There, there's too many teams in front of them. You know, they have to go on such a big run while other teams have to go on, you know, such a big losing streak. And you look, the Nationals are getting hot. The Braves are still hot. You got the Rockies who are going to start to, you know, pick it up. They got too much talent on their team. You got the Brewers who are a little slumping right now, but they're still in front of them. You got the Cubs, the Cardinals. There's just too many teams that are you know, prohibiting them from moving up in the standings, I think, for them to even have a shot. So when is it time to just let the youngsters in AAA and the prospects come up and play and pitch and do what they got to do? You have Todd Frazier, who they should move. You said Vargas. Is it time now to for McNeil to take over at that third base spot, get Todd Frazier out of there, call up prospects, and just let the season be like a practice for the young guys and trying to make a, like the lineup next year? I mean, you would think, but at the same time, their lineup and – starters haven't been the problem so I don't know why you would want to change that it's their bullpen and I don't know how many young arms I really don't think they're that deep arm wise in their farm system to even make that kind of move so I think you're just going to wind up seeing the Mets move a couple of you know smaller pieces I don't think they're going to wind up trading Syndergaard just because they're not going to be happy with what they're going to get back so uh, you look at it like it's just at this point pretty much a lost season hopefully they battle hard in the second half and they make it interesting where, you know, people can come to the games and watch and it's not just a miserable ending. But I, I think all eyes focus to 2020 for them. They hope to maybe if they get enough pieces from like Vargas say that they can move those, maybe get somebody else. You get a resurgence from Cano. You hope that your rotation's back and healthy. Uh, you move on from Frazier, McNeil's there, Alonzo's there. So you got exciting pieces that you can watch for. And, you know, you, obviously they have to go out this offseason and increase their bullpen. And if they do, maybe they'll be better off for it. But, yeah, for now, 2019 looks like it's a done deal. I mean, they do play the Twins, a very good team this year. But if they could find a way to, to sweep this mini series and go 4-1 and one after the break, they're still, again, if they're completely out of it, it's fine. But if you have a winning second half, I mean, I listen to Mickey Callaway. They, they want to come out of the gate this half and show that the first half was not the way they're used to playing baseball and that they could play better. If they could play the second half over 500, I'd call that a success to end the season. Yeah, I would too. And, you know, you talk about winning. We can move on from the Mets and talk about the Angels now who have not lost since the All-Star break. And they're 4-0 and 
And the uh, obvious storyline is the Tyler Skaggs ceremony turn no hitter, which honestly, you can't write a script better than that. You're honoring your late friend who passed away, who was a pitcher. Everyone's wearing number 45. And then they go out and throw a combined no hitter. And I mean, everyone stuff. It is creepy stuff. Everyone's eyes were just pinned to that game because you couldn't believe what you were watching almost. And you throw back to the movie Angels in the Outfield. You wonder if his presence was really impactful in a game like that. And I mean, their last no hitter was in 1991 on his birthday, which it's just unreal when you think about that all the time that's passed. And it happens to be the same exact date that Tyler Skaggs was born. And then Trout homered in the first inning and went 454 feet, which is his number both ways. Uh, honestly, your draw just drops. Like You can't talk about it because it's eerie. That, that's how, the only word you could say is eerie. How about this one? Scored seven runs in the first inning. Scored 13 for the game. 7-13 is Tyler Skaggs' birthday. I mean, you just you can't talk about it. It's weird. Like, there's got to be something baseball out gods. there that's influencing it. You could say baseball gods. It's just there's too many numbers in that one game that all relate to Tyler Skaggs. It's freaky. I believe in ghosts now. Uh, it's just... I really have no words for that. It's just crazy how s- stuff like that can happen and will continue to happen. And, yeah, it'll just blow my mind forever. There's nothing that can explain that at all. There really isn't. <laughs> and the only thing you could really talk about that game is how good the Angels pitchers were. Uh, they threw beautifully and you look at Felix Pena who came in relief and threw seven innings of no-hit baseball a complete unsung hero in that game he's got a 4.32 ERA this year when he came in you know to replace the open and nobody expected him to do that and he looked absolutely dominant the only base runner was a walk so I'm sure that even though he's hype and celebrating his no-hitter he's wondering what would have happened if I didn't walk that one guy but uh, I mean you just look at that and crazy how two people that you wouldn't really think combined for a no-hitter on a really special day, and it was a great day for baseball. The Angels, after their four-game winning streak, are now only four and a half games back of the second wildcard spot. How many games? Four and a half. Which is 4.5. Tyler Skaggs was 45. Oh, my God. I'm telling you, bro, it's sick. (laughs) Oh, geez. That was – yeah, I didn't even set you up for that. That was – Good one. That's geez. You're gonna, but now you're gonna find things throughout the whole entire season that people can relate to. That, wow. That's well. Hopefully they cut that. It doesn't stay at four point five in honor of Skaggs. Hopefully they cut. I mean they, they were not really. People counted them out, and you know we've seen in other sports where tragedies really impact teams. We see it in hockey all the time. The Florida shooting where the Florida Panthers didn't lose at home. The Vegas shooting where Vegas finds a way to get to the cup in their inaugural season. So. There's a lot of situations like that. And the only thing numbers-wise that would top what we just saw in relation to Tyler Skaggs would be if the four and five hitters in the Angels order hit 450 the rest of the year. If that happens, I'm going to lose my mind, all right, because that would be completely unheard of. But, you know, congratulations to the Angels on throwing that no-hitter. And their pitching was almost topped by the Rays, who went out, what was it, two days later? and through what looked like it was going to be a combined perfect game until it got broken up in the ninth. Yeah, it was a day later. So that, that was a crazy game as well. But, I mean, Hanser Alberto against the shift, pushes a ball through the right side of the infield, top of the ninth to lead off the ninth inning. Second baseman would have been right there. And Brendan, the shift. So let me just read off a few things. We've obviously seen teams more and more each year use the shift to their advantage. And most people would say that it works out. Sometimes pitchers complain when they turn around for an easy ground ball to second base and the guy's just not there. Pitchers get pissed off. But in the grand scheme of things, it's more of a positive thing to do and it saves runs. But so there's a few stats from the beginning of 2018, okay? Mm-hmm. There were 5% more shifts used than in 2017s. And that's, like I said, Shifts have been getting higher and higher each year. In 2017, 201 hitters who saw 100 pitches against the shift batted 281. With no shift, they batted 299. Okay, so that yeah, that backs up the statement that the shift lowers average. Yep. There were more walks, 
from 20 uh, that year, 9.8% more walks against the shift to 9% with no shift. That's 1,800 more walks, more people on base. 4.6% of plate appearances against the shift ended in home runs, 3% without the shift. So, yeah, runs are down, but there are more home runs. And Justin Turner had a great quote. And you think about it, it makes sense. You don't beat the shift by hitting around it or through it. You beat the shift by hitting over it. So we talk about launch angle and how most players nowadays, that's their their mindset at the plate. But he's right. It is so much harder to hit it against the shift, hit the ball later through a hole that you're not used to hitting. Then you might as well just elevate the ball and hope for it to go out. Um, there's a cool stat weighted on base percentage, on base average, excuse me, and it takes into consideration extra base hits. In 2017, that stat. 336 against the shift to 335 with no shift. So the shift, obviously, we talk about it's mostly just infield stuff. But the outfield does shift a little bit. But it didn't take away any much extra base hits. Those numbers are practically identical. It does take away singles. It does increase walks. Increases home runs. Is the stat worth it? The shift was not used 100 years ago, 60 years ago. Baseball was still played. Baseball was still fun to watch. There were still outs, runs scored, whatever you want to call it. Does this shift make sense? To me, it does. And it's just the pure fact that you're going to get extra outs, which you wouldn't. And, of course, you know, the certain instances where a ball actually gets poked the other way and goes through for a single that would normally be a ground out, they stand out. And, you know, you look at the increase in home runs. But that all stems from the way baseball has changed because of the implementation of the shift. So somebody like Joey Gallo was hitting 200 in his career because he could not figure out how to hit around the shift. And this year, he finally started hitting more line drives. And once that happens, now his numbers are skyrocketing average-wise, and his home runs are going up also. So I think that the shift works in the sense that you see a lot of plays made where it's just a ground ball to the right side, easy outs, that or ground ball up the middle that would normally be a base hit that's taken away. And uh, to me, I'd rather have those outs and see an increase in home runs than to have the player shifted normally and just have base hit baseball where uh, the, for the pitchers, you know, you're going to get angry the one or two times it affects you. But when it's saving you consistently, like James Paxton yesterday got saved a couple of times by the shift where it was a ground ball into the hole or a nice play by third where the shifted towards the line, you know, that type of stuff goes under the radar. And I think that it impacts the game a lot more than you think. And the shift is definitely worth it. Do you think that there are more home runs this year because the balls are juiced, like we talked about last week? Or do you think that, it's because players really cannot hit against a shift, and all they think about when they go up there is launch angle, home runs, and that's why there are more home runs this year, not because of a ball being juiced or whatever you want to believe. Well, like I said last week, I have no say on the ball being juiced because I don't, get say, to, Brendan. I don't get to hit the baseball, so how would I know? You know, I've never been in the MLB. Uh, if Verlander thinks they're juiced, I'll go on his opinion. I'll say, sure, they're a little bit juiced. But, you know, I'm not of the belief that these hitters can't hit against the shift. They're all MLB hitters, which means they're elite. They're the best of the best. If somebody wanted to poke the ball the other way and stay a little behind on the swing, they all know how to do that. I'm of the belief that they don't want to and that they look at the home runs and say, oh, that's a flashier stat that can drive in more runs. Let me hit a home run. So it's changed the game from spraying it all over the field like a DJ LeMahieu does to a Joey Gallo, like I said before, just launching it. And it works if you can get you know a hold of the ball. Somebody like Chris Davis on the Orioles completely struggled for the better half of a year and now he's starting to slowly turn it around again because he's realized I could hit the ball on a line drive and if I swing like that I'll hit more home runs so you know in, in regards to people hitting it over the shift it's just the easier flashier way than working towards hitting it the other way don't you miss guys though like Derek Jeter who could pretty much hit it anywhere they wanted through the I mean that was I like home runs and all I like seeing every game at least two home runs go out of the park but I also like the double uh, double in the gap or opposite field. I mean, we see Aaron Judge do this where he could take the ball pretty much where he wants. Mike Trout, well, he just crushes the ball everywhere he wants. But he could hit it anywhere on the diamond he wants. And you see guys like Joey Galley said, if they could just learn how to bunt down one of the lines or even other guys where third base is – there's nobody there. If they could just bunt, I, I don't know why they just don't do it. Force them to not shift against you. But, again, players rather – like you said – Rather than get the bunt base hit, they rather hit the, the four hundred foot home run, and that's it's how the unwillingness. Involved. That's what it is. They're unwilling to They're change. They're stubborn. They're stubborn. I mean, obviously, it doesn't affect them because you know people complain 
from a spectator perspective saying, oh, it takes away some of the offense if you shift and blah, blah, blah. But clearly the numbers show it doesn't. And all it does is save certain outs. If a pitcher is going to give up a long ball, they're going to give up a long ball. And if the players are going to try to hit the long ball, they're going to pitchers are going to be giving up a lot more. And in regards to the walks in relation to the shift, you know, I, I don't think that that's really connected because in order for the shift to be productive, the pitcher has to throw strikes. So I think it's more of a factor of the amount of home runs that have increased that pitchers are now being a little more careful and they're nibbling at the corners as opposed to just throwing it in there and hoping that they hit it because now they know the hitters are looking to elevate instead of just grounding out. So I that's think why that the walks that go up. Is, that's exactly why the walks go up. But, you know, for the shift to be effective, it's going to take away the base hits. You know, as, as balls that are launched into the gap are always going to find the gap. So the shift can't protect against that. Outfielders move based on percentages. They don't necessarily shift like an infield would. So I think that a pitcher has to realize how many outs that they can get from the shift. And if they give up a solo home run, so be it. But, you know, if you give up the two three-run home runs that happen if there's no shift, those hurt a lot more. I feel like the Rays just love to do stuff that no one else does. They were the first to do, use the opener. They're really the first team to start shifting. the. They, they shift so much every yep. single game. But it works. It does. And I mean, you started it with Joe Madden, who put the uh, opener and the shifts. Not the opener. He put the shifts into effect. And he did it minimally and then slowly started to increase it. And he realized that lefties especially are very vulnerable to it. You don't see many righties get shifted on like a full shift like a lefty does, which is interesting too because I feel like a righty is more prone to shoot the ball the other way than a lefty is. But, I mean, the Rays are just, they're one of those low-budget teams that have good players, not superstars, and they have to figure out ways that are creative to create offense and to save runs so that they can win ball games. and they're very good at doing that. Their front office and analytics department has to be one of the best in baseball, if not the best. The Astros do the same stuff too. They shift... I think I read a stat that they were the, besides the Rays, they shift the most um, this season or in the last couple of seasons. So, they, I mean, the MLB was talking about getting rid of the shift, making it illegal a year or two ago. I mean, I think that's a terrible idea because, what, do you want more offense? Are you going to limit? That's what every sport is trying to do. Oh, let's increase the goal size in hockey. Let's, you know, let's make defense impossible in the NFL. So, I think that the shift's good. I mean, there's stats to... Stats could always be persuaded to benefit what you're trying to say. But, I mean, definitely the main concern is the walks being up. Because if there's walks up and now more people are hitting home runs, and that's really hurting you. But in the grand scheme of things, there's less runs being scored. So, obviously, it's not hurting you as much. Brennan, let's uh, let's move now to a standings update. Go around the league. Yep. I mean, if you look at the teams that are leading that division, it's all the most powerful offensive teams. It's the ones that hit over the shift, which you were just talking about. So, the Yankees are in first place in the American League East at 59 and 33. The uh, Minnesota Twins are in first place in the AL Central at 58 and 34, and the Houston Astros are in first place in the AL West at 59 and 36. When you go to the National League, the Braves are still in first place at 58 and 37. The Chicago Cubs are holding on to first place. They're actually distancing themselves a little bit from the Cardinals and Brewers at 50 and 44, and the Dodgers remain the best team in the MLB at 63 and 33. When you look at the wild card, the Rays in the American League hold the top spot at 56 and 40. They have a two-game lead on both the Indians and the Athletics. The Indians are 52 and 40, and the Athletics are 53 and 41. In the National League, the Washington Nationals have the top wild card at 49 and 43, and they have a two-game lead on both the St. Louis Cardinals and the Philadelphia Phillies. The Cardinals are 47 and 45, and the Phillies are 48 and 46. So. There's a lot of close races. You know, it's going to come down to the wire for both wild cards like it always does. Uh, the American League looks to be a little bit stronger like it usually is. And honestly, the Dodgers look to have a very easy road again to the uh, World Series, which is not to, you know, discount anything they've done. But the National League has consistently been a little weaker. I think part of that has to do with the pitcher batting, which they refuse to change. But, you know, the American League. Looks to shape up where the Houston Astros and the New York Yankees are going to meet and play to get to face the Dodgers. And, you know, if the standings don't change soon, home field advantage becomes very, very important in that. Yeah, I love that everyone wants to, thinks the Dodgers are going to make it again. I mean, they might make it again and they might lose again because they don't they just don't find a way to get it done. I remember a couple of years ago, Texas, what, I think they made it three times in a row and lost. Yep. 
<laughs> I mean, that's – but, well, you know, we'll see what happens. There's a lot of baseball left. Anything could happen. The Dodgers could fall off the cliff and not make the playoffs. Really small chance of that happening. Well, who do you think could beat the Dodgers in the East, uh, in the National League, I mean? I mean, you look, the only team that really stands out to me that has a chance is the Cubs just because they've been there before and done it. The Brewers don't look impressive at all. The Braves look good, but they're still a little young. I don't know if they have the bullpen to get, you know, past the Dodgers. So it it really becomes just the Dodgers are superior in the National League. No, it's true. But I just think that any team in the American League could beat them. I agree with that. So and you saw they uh, they took them a long time to beat the Red Sox in the final game. I think they took two out of three, but it was still they struggled. And the Red Sox have really not had a good year this year, but they are trying to boost their playoff chances by acquiring Andrew Kashner from the Orioles. They traded prospect uh, outfielder Elio Prado and infielder Noel Berth Romero. So Kashner is an interesting pitcher because you don't really think of him as a great pitcher. He's been with the Orioles. He's been an average MLB pitcher, he's had a career ERA over four. But since June 8th, his ERA has dropped from a 4.73 this season to a 3.83, which is a significant drop-off. And he's gone at least six innings with three or fewer runs in his last five starts. So Andrew Kashner has definitely picked up his uh, pitching, and the Red Sox are getting him at the right time. His last two starts, he went seven innings in both of them, gave up zero runs in one of them and one run in the other. So he's 9-3 and three with the 3.83 ERA this year. And honestly... The numbers kind of blow you away because you, when you think of Andrew Cash and you don't think of that consistency, especially of late. But the Red Sox may have found a little bit of a gem. Well, they did that last year with the Uvalde, too. Yep. They just find ways. But no, and, I mean, when you get traded to the Orioles, you sign with the Orioles, that's usually where you go to die. Like your career right, right now, they're not a good team. That's really where you go. Your career is like, like I would have been shocked if Bartolo Colon just went there for, you know, for fun. But Andrew Kashner took the time to work on things, and now he's going to get traded to a team that's going to try to contend and make make a splash in the playoffs. Um, but, I mean, it's great to see because, again, Kashner, he was dominant for a few years on San Diego and then just really after he left there. As you, you wouldn't even call him a good pitcher. you call him a bad pitcher. He has not been good, not consistent, gives up run early. The Yankees usually tattooed him. Yeah, well, so, that's the other thing is that when a pitcher gets traded to the AL East, you always say, all right, you know, you look at how they fare against the AL East. You look at if they're going to be ready to face all those bats. But the Red Sox picked up somebody that's used to it and his numbers might not be outstanding against them. But he's seen the Yankees before. He's seen the Blue Jays. He's seen the Rays. You know, he's seen all the teams he's going to wind up facing in the home stretch. So that's actually good that they've been able to pick him up. It's like what the Yankees did last year getting Hap, where even though his numbers for the Blue Jays weren't terrific. He came to the Yankees, got rejuvenated by the, you know, the com- competitive nature behind New York, and he faced the Red Sox, he faced the Rays, and he wound up dominating them. I think he went undefeated and, since the deadline for the Yankees last year. So, you know, the Red Sox are hoping for a little bump like that for Kashner, and the Athletics are hoping for the same thing, right? Yep. Uh, speaking of home stretch, Homer Bailey on the Royals was traded to the Athletics for infielder Kevin Morrell. He's seven and six with a 4.80 ERA this year. On his last start against Cleveland, he went five innings, giving up just two runs, and he's given up two runs or fewer in four of his last five starts. So just like Kasser, they've been playing well as of late, and that's again that's why he gets traded to a team that's you know they're tied for a wild second wild card spot. With um, this could be a great move. Homer Bailey, great years with the Reds. Time came to an end there. Again, gets traded to a, a bad team like the Royals. Under the spotlight has performed quite well. Again, he earns himself a spot to compete, and that's what these Kashner and these Homer Bailey guys—they're not young pitchers, and their time in the league is not doesn't have that much time left. So they got to produce now, and hopefully their play elevates now. And now that they have a chance to actually compete for something. Yeah, Homer Bailey's a veteran. He knows how to pitch. Now, obviously, his stuff isn't as good as it once was, but pitchers like that can kind of change on the fly and maneuver ways around their pitches. They know how to locate better than a younger pitcher will. So the Athletics are hoping to just get that extra depth in their pitching rotation, whether Homer Bailey starts for them now and then moves to the bullpen if they make the playoffs or however that winds up working out. They added a key piece to a locker room. You know, Homer Bailey's been there before. He's not going to be phased by it. And last year, the Athletics made the playoffs and got rocked in the wild card game. They got stunned in the first inning. Judge hit a two-run home run. And, I mean... They were talking about it on the Yankees broadcast yesterday. Ken Singleton said that he talked to Fernando Rodney, who said that once Judge hit that home run, the Athletics knew it was over. And you know, that's to a have terrible that, attitude. Exactly, but to have that traumatic, you know, kind of playoff experience for a young team, 
if they get back there now in the wild card game and a winner go home, now you have a veteran presence there that's going to be able to calm some of the young guys down and hone in all their abilities to try to win and get to the next round. I don't think Oakland appreciates Fernando Rodney saying that publicly. Uh, but, I doubt that. Oh, wow. I mean, to just give up after one inning. We saw in the twi- was it the Twins wild card with the Yankees. Yep, the Yankees were down 3 nothing in the first, and they came back and won. Anyway, that's last year's stuff, but good for Fernando Rodney with his backwards, semi-backwards hat, whatever he wants to do with that. Um, <laughs> so now let's talk about some bubble teams, and Brennan will get into a little bit. We're going to name a few teams. We're going to go over if they're buyers and sellers and what moves they need to make in order to compete right now. So let's start it off with the Indians. Like we said, they're second in the wild card spot. And we're going to say they're buyers. They need hitting. Um, and Brendan, we want to get into it a little bit. Is Trevor Bauer, is there a chance he gets moved in order to help their hitting? I think that there's always a chance that Bauer's going to get moved just because He's arbitration eligible for next year, but the Indians do have depth in the starting rotation. I don't know if they're going to want to keep paying Bauer as much money as he's going to start to command, especially after he reaches free agency in two years. So, I mean, if they wind up having some sustained success before the deadline, I think they're going to wind up holding on to him and trying to move somebody else to get offense, just because if you don't have offense, you need pitching. So I think they'd rather have one than risk having none. Uh, But... For right now, there's a chance that he could get moved. One of their targets has to be Nick Castellanos from the Tigers. You know, he's a productive at-bat. And uh, if they want to shed some cap space, then you could wind up moving, I don't know necessarily if it's Bauer, but maybe another type of pitcher to get him. And you lose him at the end of the season. So it's a rental. It makes a little gray area there. But there's a lot of bats. You know, we talked about all the teams that are on the bubble. And the Cardinals have announced that they might want to move somebody like a Tyler O'Neill, who's a young player. He's under contract. He's controllable. He's produced in his minimum a chance in the MLB. So maybe that's an option that the Indians go towards because the Indians are usually one of those teams that try to get those undervalued players. I mean, Cassianos is still 27. He's not old by any means. And he, again, if they need hitting, why not go out and get him? Yes, he's a rental, but maybe he signs an extension. I mean, it all really will all depend on if, that, if they make that move, whoever they make the move with, if they're a free agent or a rental, whatever you want to call it, the team plays well, there's a chance they come back. If the team doesn't make the playoffs somehow and they and they buy and it's like, well, it's a waste, then they let them go. But I think Cassianos would be a perfect fit, especially with, um, what was it, Amos Martin going to play in Japan? Yep. So He's, He got cut, so you got a roster spot now. I mean, their outfield looks a little bit shaky right now, and their bats that are in there are not producing, so why wouldn't you want to add potential bat that could fill a DH role if you need it? and uh, I, I think that if they got him, their offense would increase, but I don't know necessarily what they're going to give up because if they do compete, like I said, why would you want to trade somebody who can pitch like Trevor Bauer? But, yeah. you know, sticking in the American League, you look at the Texas Rangers, who are three games back of the wild card, but it almost seems like as hot as they were early on, they're cooling off as of late. And you know, they got a couple of interesting pitchers who they might be able to move on the open market. Yeah, we got Mike Miner and uh, Lance Lynn. Mike Miner, all-star. Yep. And Lance Lynn, a veteran who finds a way, I feel like, every team he goes to, he finds a way to be a solid addition. Um, but they're, they're, I think, yeah, they got to be sellers. I mean, they have two guys, like, two older pitchers that they could probably get some prospects for right now. Um, Brendan, I don't have the stats in front of me. I know you probably do with how they're doing this year. Well, you know, Mike Miner was an all-star, and uh, his numbers really do stand out when you consider his age and how he's producing and Lance Lynn's the same way. I know that Lance Lynn was 12 and four, three, six, nine ERA. And, you know, Lynn is somebody that he gets bounced around a lot because he obviously has ability. He's a veteran. He could fill a rotation spot. And this year he's shown his worth in Cleveland. I think he's leading the American league, if not, you know, second and wins in the American league. So obviously he's shown to be productive. He's got a four, six war this year, which is absurd for somebody like a Lance Lynn to have. And, uh, the Rangers can definitely get a lot in value in return from him if they do choose to sell. Well, Mike Miner has been as good as well. He's 8-4 with a 2.73, and he's got a 5.8 war. Really? So, I mean, he's having a, a good year, and it's funny because when Mike Miner came up with Atlanta, he was supposed to be like the next best pitcher, and it really didn't pan out that way. But he's found some life this year. I mean, a 5.8 war is that's pretty impressive. Yeah, and his, again, he was an all-star. Are good. So... These are definitely guys 
that Texas should look to move in order to get some type. Just get as many prospects as you can for them. If you wait and you let them go, that's just that's just really stupid to do, especially when they're hot right now. If they fall off a cliff in the next week, or they have, they both get rough uh, roughed up. I mean, obviously their trade value is going to go down because they're not young pitchers by any means. But a guy like Lance Lerner, Mike Miner, going to a team that needs starting pitching and is a bubble team as well, they could really help a team get to where they need to be. Yeah, and Texas has to replenish their corners, and they got to replenish their pitching staff. So, uh, I mean, you got two of the – like, every team can use pitching at the deadline. It's one of the only positions that every single year gets moved. And you got two good pitchers that are worth a good amount at the deadline, especially since somebody like Zach Wheeler is now off the market. So a right-handed pitcher like Lance Lynn, his value increases. So they could definitely get a good haul for them. And now you want to switch to the other side. You got the Washington Nationals who have a two-game lead in the wild card. And they went from being down and out when Trey Turner was hurt. And uh, now all of a sudden they look like a new team. And their ERA for their starters is the third best in the league at a 3-5-3. But their bullpen is absolutely terrible with a 5-9-3. It's even worse than the Mets. It's only in front of the Baltimore Orioles in the MLB. They're 29th in the league in bullpen ERA. So it's obvious that that is where they need to improve if they want to have success in the playoffs. And you look at three key names who could potentially be on their team in Ken Giles, Will Smith, and Kirby Yates. Um, Kirby Yates is somebody that you don't know if they're going to necessarily move from the Padres just how dominant he is. But Will Smith on the Giants is definitely going to get moved. And Ken Giles is in talks with numerous teams. His name is being tossed around that he's going to get traded to. Also on the Giants is Mark Melanson. That's an iffy one. I don't know if they're going to want to go after somebody. I think he's been in Washington before, so I don't know if they're going to want to, you know, take a second flyer on him. But what do you what do you think about that? I mean, out of all those guys, I think if they could get him, it would be hard. But Kirby Yates has been so dominant, and for a team like the Padres, who are really building for the future, Kirby Yates isn't that young, and he, he's been around. He bounced around for a few teams. He was a Yankee actually at one point, but I think. I think, yeah, I think Kirby H would be the guy to go. Again, you look at their bullpen. I mean, Sean Doolittle is supposed to be their guy. And on the year, he is 6-2 and two with a 2.97. Let me just look and see how many saves he has this year. Hold on one second. He's got 20 saves. So he's he's been solid, but he hasn't been – I mean, a few years ago, his stuff was just elite. Yeah, but and, he's also now the only arm in that bullpen. Like, yeah, other than no, him, no. they have nobody. Yes, that's the only guy that you think of name-wise. Like, oh, I know Sean Doolittle. That's that's the guy. So they definitely are a team that could make a splash as well at the trade deadline. Again, it was crazy. Like you said, when Trey Turner got hurt, they were, you know, looked out of it completely. And since Max Scherzer broke his nose, this team's been playing a lot better baseball. And they're Yeah, they're a new team. And sometimes that's all you need. You just need to find your identity. They lost Bryce Harper. That's a big th- person to lose on a team that, you know, wasn't winning in the playoffs, but they were making the playoffs. And to lose your quote-unquote best, one of the best players in the league at that point throughout his career, to lose somebody like that, a lot of guys, people had to pick up that and fill that void, and they, and they didn't early on. But now they're, they're figuring out a new identity post-Harper. And, yeah, again, like we said, two-game lead in the wildcard spot. They're going to keep trying to build that lead. It might be very hard. I said last week that there's a chance that maybe they win the division. The Braves haven't really quieted down, and it is definitely effective, and they definitely have a great season if they find a way to go from practically one of the worst teams of baseball to a wild card team. And then, again, you, all like we say is you just have to get in. Yep, it's very true. And the only thing that worries me about the Nationals, I don't know if they have the prospect pool necessarily to pull off a trade for Kirby Yates because it's going to take a big haul with the season that he's having. So a Will Smith or a Ken Giles seems like the uh, – more likely option but when you talk about a team that doesn't have a real good prospect pool you look at the Arizona Diamondbacks and all of their young guys are currently in the MLB they really have to they're in one of those middle stages where they lost they moved on from Paul Goldschmidt and they found Christian Walker who's been amazing for them this year at first base but outside of you know their key guys they don't really have anybody that wows you and they do have a couple of veterans on their team even though they're a game back of the wild card I think they're going to wind up selling and you got Greg Holland in their bullpen Adam Jones the veteran and Robbie Ray who's now getting a lot of attention from the Brewers the Phillies the Astros and even the Yankees are calling about him so uh, they have some good pieces that they can get value for and for a team that's middle of the pack maybe it's time that they start replenishing their young guys and hoping that they can come up and mix in well with the, the current young kids they have playing in the MLB. Yeah, I would definitely say Greg Holland's got to go. Adam Jones has to go. Specifically Adam Jones, 
again, a veteran guy that could really help. Maybe if he's not starting for a team, but he's off the bench. Veteran bat, those are so important in the playoffs, especially to mentor young guys too. So if he could go to a team, even a bubble team or a team that's in there already, I mean, the Yankees don't need him, but I was going to say, a team like the Yankees where they have a ton of young guys or Shell or Torres, trying to mold them into being professional and, you know, taking advantage of more playoff at-bats and, you know, the stuff that comes with that. A player like that can really help younger players evolve. Yeah, I wonder if that's a team that maybe the Athletics go a uh, player that the Athletics Athletics can go after because you think about it, they're also very young, and we talked about Homer Bailey coming in maybe helping them, but you know you can always use a veteran bat in your lineup that's not named Chris Davis at this point. Um, the Twins are another team that has thrived on power; they don't have that much in their payroll, and they're a bunch of young kids that have never really made it to the playoffs. Why wouldn't you want to take maybe a chance? Because Getting Adam Jones is not going to take that much. It's not going to dive into your prospect pool, you know, maybe a low B prospect and a draft pick in the later rounds to get him. So uh, the Diamondbacks are really worried about shedding salary when it comes to somebody like him. And the Twins have the room to do that. So I feel like that would be a good fit for an Adam Jones. Yeah, I think the Diamondbacks just have to get as many prospects as they can. They're not out of it this year, but... Now's the time to get rid of these guys. Don't wait because then it's just going to hurt the team for the future. Long run and get, let your young guys play. Like we said, Christian Walker is having a great season. No, he's not the name Paul Goldschmidt, but he's played quite as well as Goldschmidt's played this yeah, year. His, his numbers might even be a little bit better. And I guarantee he's getting paid a lot less. So Consistently. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, uh, Brennan, I got another fun fact for you if you want to hear it. Oh, okay. Bryce Harper, guys, everyone, everyone, listen to this. He is not as bad as you think he is. Everybody knows he signed the 13-year, $330 million contract this past offseason with Philly. So last year was a down year for him. He batted 249 with 34 homers and 100 RBIs. A down year. Down year. <laughs> um, this year, he's actually got the average up a little more. 251, he has 16 homers and 62 RBIs. So if he can repeat... Uh, what he did in the first half and the second half, he'll definitely break over 100 RBIs. He'll around the same home runs, and he'll end with a higher batting average. He's top 10 this year with 24 doubles. His strikeouts are up. He had 169 strikeouts last year, 109 so far this year. So, again, if he has the same type of year, he'll definitely go over that. And his walks are down. He had 130 last year. He's got 60 this year. Everyone's got to accept the fact that he's not going to bat 285 to 290. He's a 250 hitter. Take that. You got to take it. You have him for another 13 years, Philly. Get ready for 250 consistently every year. But he leads his team in doubles. He's second in home runs, leads his team in RBIs, and he's second in walks. The Phillies have a hole to climb out of, but you can't put the blame on Harper. He had a slow start, but he is picking it up, and he's still a great player despite the lower batting average, which we see a lot of players nowadays. Lower batting average, but higher output with home runs and RBIs. Yeah, and you saw the absolute hose he has for an arm in right field, too, the other day when he threw somebody out at third base from the wall. And, you know, his defense has always been underrated. He can play center field, right field, pretty left field, too. So he covers all the outfield positions. He's good there. And, you know, when you sign a contract of that magnitude, the expectations are going to be through the roof. And he didn't make the All-Star game. Uh, people were just quick to say his numbers are awful, but... You know, as you just read, his RBIs are impressive. The only reason they're not being talked about is because you have guys like Josh Bell and Cody Bellinger and Christian Yelich that are going off this year and having absolute monster seasons. So somebody whose numbers are more mediocre, if you will. But he, he's on pace for 32 home runs. You know, he's going to put up probably 100 to 110 RBIs. His strikeouts, even though are, that are going up, he was at, I think, 96 about a month ago. So to only increase, you know, what it is, whether it's 10 to 20 strikeouts in that time span, which means he's starting to see the ball better. So he was struggling with the fastball early in the year. He's getting plagued by, you know, people are throwing up and elevating it. And he has that classic lefty uppercut swing and he couldn't catch up to the fastball. But obviously something's clicked and he's starting to figure it out. And 62 RBIs means he's coming through in certain big situations. You don't just get that. That number doesn't just fall out of the sky. So I think that Philly fans got to give him a little bit of time. You got to remember, he's adjusting to a new city, a new lifestyle. He had to move his family over. It's not like, you know, when you sign somebody in MLB 19 where you just get to start playing right away. This guy has a whole family outside of the baseball that you got to adjust to. So next year, definitely he'll, his numbers will increase again. But his numbers this year are not terrible by any stretch of the imagination. Since he was drafted, he's always been put on the same pedestal as Mike Trout. But he, he's not Mike Trout, and everyone's got to understand he is not going to hit 
for average like Mike Trout does, and he's not as explosive as a player as Mike Trout is every single night. Harper's going to give you, like we just said, he's going to give you a 250, 260 batting average, 30 home runs, 100 RBIs. And that's a pretty good career to do that consistently. Again, Mike Trout is a -a one-of-a-kind player who just somehow every year hits above 300, 30 home runs, 100 RBIs, great fielder. So everyone's got to stop looking at Harper and going, well, he's not Trout because he's not Trout. You can't take that and be like he's going to bat 300 next year. It's probably not going to happen. So take what you have. He's a great player. He's only going to help Philly for 13 years, hopefully, if he could last that long. So, yeah, everyone relax. Harper is not having a bad year. I was talking to a few people the other day like, oh, yeah, Harper sucks. Well, one, you can't do what Harper's doing, so shut up. And two, (laughs) he's not having a bad year at all. So everyone's got to relax. He's not. He's not, and you know he's only going to come into his own. And if they re-sign Real Muto, you have him, you have Harper. Uh, I mean, they got the good young pieces. You have Reese Hoskins, you have Aaron Nola. So yeah, they're building something. After he gets out of jail. Yeah, whatever, whatever he he's if he plays again for Philly, I don't even know what that scenario is a disaster. But you know they have good young pieces. They have a core that they're building around, and uh, Philly will start to be good. They're also in a division that has the Braves, who are younger than they are and better than they are at this point so that's a hard team to keep pace with you know you expect the Mets at some point to come back to life uh which I don't know if that's necessarily going to happen but the the division they're in is okay they they got a good team in front of them and they got to figure out but fans got to get off of you know Harper's back it's not like he's batting 100 I mean we saw it last year with Gary Sanchez that's something to jump on when somebody's batting 182 he's not doing that he's getting a hit every four at bats and sure the strikeouts are up but everybody's strikeouts are up so it's not just him. You got to give the guy a chance. On that note, successful episode, I think. You know, we covered a lot. You got a couple of the buyers and sellers at the deadline. Talked about the Angels, their miraculous statistical achievements in relation to Tyler Skaggs, and one step closer to the trade deadline when all the fun starts to happen and the uh, postseason picture starts to come into a little bit of a reality. So, you know, until next time, see you soon.